Welcome to Blackbird episode number 86. My name is James, and today I am pleased to bring back to the show Tessa Lena. Tessa, you will remember from, I don't remember which episode of Blackbird, but it's been a little while, and a lot has gone on since the last time she was here. Tessa writes on Substack and on her own website. She's a musician and songwriter, and uh, just kind of an all-around great cultural commentator. So uh, without further ado, here is Tessa Lena. Tessa, welcome back to the show. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It was wonderful to talk to you last time, so I look forward to this one. Great. So what got me interested in having you back on was a tweet that, or I guess it was it was a Substack post. A little while back, you were talking about how it feels like we're in a state of decay. And you talked about a restaurant scenario where like people just came out of the kitchen and randomly saw at a table in half or something like that. Is that, does that ring true? Yes, well, that's happened in Moscow by now quite a number of years ago. And I was already living here in America. And so I came to visit and I was at a restaurant in the middle of the night downtown. And all of a sudden, the employees of the restaurant decided that it was a good idea to take a table and start sewing it in half. (laughs) And they just randomly started doing that. And there was no rhyme or reason to that whatsoever. And I was like, okay. I guess. <laughs> so they just started destructing the table. And it was funny, but, yeah, but <laughs> it was absurd. Yeah. How does that relate to like a society in the state of decay? Because I've seen some weird stuff like that happening. And I want to know why the word decay was what you picked in that piece. Uh, well, I think I remember that culturally from the time of the end of the Soviet Union, the, the actual after the fall of the Soviet Union, and there was a lot of great art made by Soviet filmmakers about this complete absurdity. It's like a carnival. It's like everybody's just doing whatever. There's no no standards, no rules. And in case of my old homeland, everybody's just stealing whatever they can, which I think applies to my current homeland in this current state as well. Yeah. So it's like anything goes. And that was a state... And I guess when people start doing just whatever with no standards, decay shows up. Mm-hmm. And that actually applies to the, the book that I was talking about, The Heart of a Dog, plus yeah. the, remember the book we talked about. So they were specifically discussing the state of decay in that sense, when people start just doing whatever and like no standards. This is when d- decay happens and destruction happens. So something that I've seen recently, I was at the gym and... This guy, he just, he went swimming in the swimming pool at the gym and he was just wearing tidy whitey underwears. And then he got out of the pool and he changed into another pair of tidy whitey underwear and then just put on his clothes over it. It just felt really weird and surreal. Like why, at least like wear a pair of boxers or something different from the underwear you're about to put on. It's stuff like that that kind of, that kind of, feels like it relates to that scenario of the people sawing the table in half. Have you seen stuff like that here in the States as well? Well, plenty. In this case, perhaps he changed them because they were dry. I don't know. That's <laughs> that's my theory about why he would do that. Yeah. <laughs> but I've seen, well, here, absurdity is rampant. 
And I can't think of any particular case, but it's just, you can tell that people are tired and they don't care and they just do whatever. I mean, I suppose I was talking about it maybe, I don't know, seven, eight years ago before any COVID when well, customer service in this country, when I just came here, it was admirable from the standpoint of the Soviet person, Mm -hmm. people were polite and such. And then it just went away and people could yell at you, kind of like the Soviet cashier, the classic. Mm -hmm. So I thought, oh, oh, this is, this is, this is not going the right direction. It's just culturally there's signs that people are tired, people don't care. And usually when that happens, then, you know, other things follow eventually. Yeah. What kinds of things do you think are in store here if this decay continues? And I mean, is there is there a way to reverse decay, cultural decay like this, do you think? I don't know. I think historically it usually runs its course. Yeah. I don't know. I keep hoping that if people sort of wake up to this reality soon, there might be a chance. You know, like miracles happen. I, I mean, I don't know. It's possible. But mm-hmm. historically, usually when... It goes towards decay, it goes all the way towards decay, and then something else happens after. So I don't know, I'm not too optimistic about it. Yeah. I mean, do you think that there's ways that individuals can at least kind of fortify their own lives in order to not be too heavily and drastically impacted by it? Well, I'm sure. I think, well, even in the hardest times in history, individuals try to do the right thing and some people fare better than others. I think there's nothing new about that. So people survived the Soviet Union. Well, not all of them, but many did, and then it ended. So I think it's a very long-term game in many ways. We're a multi-generational game, mm-hmm. and we are, we're not the first generation doing that to begin with. And like we're a continuation of somebody else. So, well, there's a lot of talk about growing your own food and trying to really move into that structure where you have barter relationships with people, you know, and that's probably very prudent for for those who are in the position to afford it and do that. What do you make of what's going on in the, in Eastern Europe right now with Russia and Ukraine and Belarus and the rest? That is an extremely hard topic for me. And in my recent post, I wrote that I'm not even ready to talk about it much Mm -hmm. because it's too you know, geopolitics is obviously complex and I don't think they're good guys in that game at yeah. all. It's, I think, the Ukrainian people are being sacrificed by both Russian and Western oligarchs and that's what's happening and that's kind of the cynical part of it. And everybody's corrupt and people pay the price. And then, of course, on both sides, the oligarchs and the politicians, they try to ramp up the animosities. Yeah. Because... And I'm talking about West, West and Russia, because Ukraine just happens to be in that, like in a real unfortunate position, Ukrainian people. And obviously there has been a struggle and the coup and this and that. I mean, like, it's just a mess, but I'm not really ready to talk about it in any kind of analytical manner because I'm from Moscow and Ukrainians are my brothers and sisters and Russians are my brothers and sisters. And it's, it's a big mess. And I just mourn the fact that it is happening. And of course, there has been military action prior to that. I mean, it's it's just a big, big, big mess. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate that it's targeted to probably be a war zone for a while. And it's it's not good. I'm very sad about it. 
Well, okay. So one of the things that you talk about a lot is propaganda. And it's my understanding that Ukraine is, I mean, it's like the ninth most corrupt country in the world by some metrics. So what do you make of turning Ukraine into this like Christ-like country? You know, people putting the flag on their profile pictures and stuff. And like, I understand that people who say they support Ukraine, most of the time are saying that they support the people of Ukraine who are under attack. But I think also the Ukrainian government is also kind of being lionized, in particular by the press. Do you see that as media propaganda? Is there some truth to it? Do you know? I think, I think there's several stories happening at the same time. Like, of yeah. course, Ukrainian government is corrupt. The entire former Soviet Union. Well, first of all, everybody's terribly corrupt. Like, the America is terribly corrupt, mm-hmm. too. Second of all, the entire Soviet Union has its own flavor of corruption, and whether it's Russia or Ukraine, terribly corrupt. Okay. It's just that, that entire culture where corruption is not something to be ashamed of. It's just corrupt. And that's how people think. That's Anybody who can afford being corrupt is corrupt. There's actually, taking it to a lighter note, there's a joke uh, from the Soviet times that applies, I think, to Russia and Ukraine mm-hmm. and entire that entire territory where two friends meet up and one says, so do you take bribes? And then the other says, no, 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 I don't take bribes. And then he says, the other friend says, well, does anybody try to bribe you? He goes, oh, unfortunately, no. So, I mean, like, that's that's a joke. <laughs> so he's not taking bribes because no, nobody's <laughs> like, yeah. so, so that is the entire culture. So I'm not even, it's like, I assume that it is horribly corrupt. And I think it's kind of a story that repeats through history where local leaders of a smaller country try to find alignments with bigger countries and some side with this empire and others side with that yeah. empire. And the empires might be in competition and the leaders, I mean, they might hope that they have their own emotional good and bad, like all human beings, but they primarily calculate which predator is going to protect them the most. And then marketing comes after. So I think it is a classic case in because some of the power holders in Ukraine would try to side with Russia as a predator, as an empire. And then some would try to side with the United States of America or the Western countries as another camp of predators and empires. And I think this is what's happening on the cynical level. And then, of course, with the people, people are subjected to horrible suffering right Mm -hmm. now. And that's a separate story. So I don't like to talk about it in a cold-minded Like a lot of my friends are like, oh, okay. so if the mainstream media says Russia bad, Ukraine good, then it must be exactly the other way around. Russia good, Ukraine bad. I don't think that on the level of politician, there are any good guys at all. And obviously the media story is its own story. Propaganda is horrible. And Mm -hmm. but it's just what the media does. And just like. Well, America, American media likes to scold Russia. Russian media likes to scold America. And they're both lying through their teeth. And they're both trying to use any real reason or any imaginary excuse to just divert attention away from what's happening at home. And both of my homelands do that. And I don't have any kind words for either doing that. So the propaganda is obscene. So Obviously, people who couldn't find Ukraine on the map just yesterday all of a sudden are filled with feelings 
and I'm sure the feelings are sincere, but... Well, and they still can't find Ukraine on the map, just to be clear. <laughs> no, that is true. But what I'm saying is that there are many, many, many yeah. multiple stories happening at the same time. And because it is close to home, I cannot go into that analytical mode. I mean, like, yes, there are biolabs. Yes, all that. But I don't, mm-hmm. I'm sure that the invasion had nothing to do with, I mean, it, not not everything, at least. It wasn't the main reason. So what the predators are doing, the predators are on both sides. And I'm talking about the West and Russia. And I think they equally share the blame. In this case, the invasion, the last reiteration of invasion is on Russia. And I mean, and that's my land. And I'm not saying it in the same way that, say, the American media says that, because mm-hmm. the American media is just like lying through their teeth. But the fact is, everybody is responsible for their actions. So there is an invasion. And people say it's in response. On the ground, I think people are equally passionate on both sides. And Ukraine is not culturally homogenous. Mm-hmm. So some people feel very loyal to Russia, some people, or Russian culture, I would say language, and by association, Russia, because it tends to maybe protect them. And then some people feel vehemently against and more pro-West in the same way, and the passions are equal. And I don't even feel that I'm in the position to judge the people because politicians have been playing human beings forever. This is universal. This is not specific to Ukraine or Russia or America. People have this, I mean, politicians, if they can divert attention from their faults, they invite an, uh, inv- uh, invent an enemy. Mm-hmm. And in Ukraine, well, before my eyes, the relationship deteriorated, right? And I was blaming primarily the West up until, well, right now, because right now there's a war in, in, in this reiteration of it, and it's horrible. But it's like, well, when I was a kid, I don't think anybody could imagine Russians and Ukrainians fighting with each other. It's just, we're pretty much one people, right? I mean, like, it's like, and originally, centuries ago, we were literally one people. That was, there were no Russians, there were no Ukrainians, we were one people. Mm-hmm. And then historically, it's just how it happens with national, like development of nations. So uh, the center that was based in Kiev, which was originally the center of this whole nation, well, before it was a nation, right? So the, the ancestors of Russians and Ukrainians. So that developed into eventually Ukraine. And then what was a Moscow kingdom that was more recent than the Kievan kingdom. And it went under and the Tatars and it was in this entire mess. So it eventually developed into Russia. But we were, used to be one people. I imagine that thousands of years ago, we probably came from, you know, one clan mother or something like that. So I, as a human being, I object to this purely analytical camp, like, there has to be a good guy and a bad guy. I don't think that it applies. I think that it's a case of political predators and oligarch predators throwing people under the bus Mm -hmm. and nobody really cares about the people. So I'm far more concerned about that than about like petty geopolitical analysis, like, oh, you know, 5D chess, this, that. I'm sure this is happening, but I don't think that the solutions will come from that 
kind of analysis. If, I don't know if it makes sense. Yeah, that makes absolute sense, of course. The more important part of this is the cultural rather than the political. So one thing that I've always noticed is that when a particular region becomes like the geopolitical, and by geopolitical, I mean, of course, the American empire's area of focus, we start spelling and translating and pronouncing words differently. I feel like that's part of the propaganda thing. Like if you're paying attention, then, you, then you're going to change the way that you say and spell and stuff, these words. And so, for instance, when the Middle East became the area of focus, here in America, they changed the spelling of Muslim from M-O-S-L-E-M to M-U-S-L-I-M. And now we're seeing that also with Kiev, which I noticed that you pronounce closer to Kiev, which is how the news media is now pronouncing it. And the spelling changed. It's no longer K-I-E-V, it's K-Y-I-V. Do you think that that is some way of manipulating the language? Uh, well, again, it is complicated. Well, the new spelling, it's not new. It didn't show up today. Right. That's how, well, based on the Ukrainian language. So uh-huh. previously it was spelled in English based on the Russian pronunciation. Okay. Then a few years ago when, uh, well, the mood changed and the, 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 I mean, again, with some help from the West, I think that people would not have gone into this degree of militancy without the help from the West. The militancy, but I mean, like, that's again, that's what leaders do. Honestly, people should know better on every side. And people go for that every time. So whatever says, oh, look, enemy. And then people go for it. So, but going back to the spelling, it changed a few years ago. And also there was the, the, whether you use the with Ukraine. And even in the Russian language, there were political requirements of how to use certain like prepositions. Like mm. in, how do you say in Ukraine, in Russian? So I think it is fair for Ukrainian people to, ask for whatever spelling they want. I mean, and it's not a big deal. It's it's kind of like, I, I don't really care. When it comes to demands to change the Russian language, I don't think it's fair because I think the Russian language goes by the rules of the Russian language. Obviously, the Ukrainian language goes by the rules of Ukrainian language. I mean, like, that's obvious. And then the English language can choose. Pe- speakers can choose what to do. I think they're much bigger problems to worry about than how we spell Kiev either way. And it's like, if it's important, then why not? So, I mean, I don't really, I don't really sweat over that. That, of course, the story, the media story, the politician story in the West, they would politicize anything. They would politicize, I don't know, natural immunity. Like who would have thunk? So they would politicize anything that they can. So I always separate the different parties participating in a story. And I try to, I don't know, just be as peaceful as possible about it. That's my personal approach. So I think that being too belligerent about anything, I mean, like it doesn't really amount to much good. I mean, yes, people can prove their right or whatever. They, they, they have the right to do whatever. But in the end, if it's about peace then, I mean, you compromise on things that are important and you don't pay attention to charlatans and liars. It's it's a very, you know, it's a complex dance of life, I think. But for sure, people do change language. And it's the same thing with, for example, when Russian Revolution happened, when the Bolshevik 
Bolsheviks uh, had this coup in 1917, they changed the language, they changed some letters. Actually, after the Chinese invasion of Tibet, the same thing happened. You know, they, they changed some things. So this is, this is what always happens, I think. And then if people have been suffering, then they embrace whoever tells them that, you know, this is now your new freedom, your new identity, and this is how it goes. So you mentioned national immunity. I guess we should, we should get into COVID and what's going on. Well, or what's not going on, probably more importantly. Um, <laughs> well, I have never been cynical enough because it was a global thing. I've never been cynical enough to believe that the COVID hysteria was mainly to get Donald Trump out of office. And so I'm also not cynical enough to think that the new Russia narrative is meant to keep Democrats in office in this election year. That said, I'm really frequently wrong on my on my political analysis. What do you think there? I mean, obviously, the Great Reset and the World Economic Forum probably has more to do with this than the Democrats and Republicans. But uh, do, do you have any opinions as far as kind of where that's going and what's happening in the information war? Uh, well, and also, what is the meaning of life? I mean, two small questions. <laughs> well, this is going <laughs> and the meaning of life. Yeah. Well, it's 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 very hard to say. Like, I'm sure that, again, everything is happening. So that memo that I'm sure you've seen to the Democrats about, okay, now we stop talking about COVID. Now we say that we won. So there was this absolutely beautiful memo. and. So on that level, it's true. I'm sure the Democrats, even though there's a great reset and the, the, the difference between the two is kind of irrelevant on the grand scale anyway for the people and corruption is rampant. Nonetheless, people on their level are still like hustling, right? So I think that there's a change in messaging that might have a bunch to do with the fact that Democratic policies have completely driven a lot of people, like turned people off. And they're like, uh-oh, maybe we've overdone it. Now we have to talk over it. I, I'm sure this is happening. But, and well, this is happening. But as far as the grand trends, I don't know. It's very, it's very puzzling because I think that the great trendsetters are just marching forward. And they're marching forward regardless. I mean, they're marching forward over our heads. And now that all the attention is on this war, but the digital ideas are still being developed. The financial, you know, the digital dollar and potentially programmable money, this is all still happening. And it's still in the oven. So it is possible then, you know, when the media switches its highlight from the war, even if the war hasn't ended by then, but they just magically, you know, how media just stops caring, right? It's just like today, this is the tragedy, to, and then tomorrow, something else is a tragedy. So then it is possible that, like, oh, by the way, and here's your digital dollar. Oh, and here's your digital idea. Oh, you weren't paying attention, were you? Yeah. Well, you know, we're just hiding behind the bushes. But see, we really had no plans to do it. We really. We really had no plans to do it, but now because of this war, you know, Putin and supply chains and all that, and, you know, the usual thing. And then here we have it. So I think this is where we're heading. I think nobody has given up on, well, I mean, like, it's clear, like, the digital ideas are being developed. Mm -hmm. And 
Biden just issued an executive order about you know digital uh, like crypto and digital uh, CBD like CBDC potentially. Mm-hmm. So it's happening, and I think they're just going for it. And if and now they can blame everything on Putin and Ukraine. So inflation and everything. So I think it's looking pretty grim, but at the same time, there's always hope that the rulers are too stupid to pull it through correctly. <laughs> and yeah. that with the peasants yeah. will find that, you know, find wiggling room. And again, we're in the same existential conundrum like before, right? So it's mm. like it's it's a dance that is completely mysterious. Yeah, I, I noticed that YouTube has now started censoring Russia misinformation, which, I mean, obviously it was coming, but like, they're not even pretending that, I mean, you know, when they were censoring COVID misinformation, well, hell, you're going to kill people if you if you spread misinformation about COVID. But with Russia, there's not really any stakes like that. If you say something that YouTube disagrees with on Russia, well, it's not like it's going to cause someone to cause this, catch this deadly virus. <laughs> so... I guess well, I mean, like, they're doing it with everything. They're doing it with climate. They're doing yeah. it with oh, that's everything. true. Yeah, and then well, potentially with climate, you you can't think wrong thoughts because if you think wrong thoughts, then everybody's going to die. But I think they just really, I mean, that seems clear that they've just trained people. They've used the COVID for mm-hmm. whatever it's worth, you know, to train people to react to have this knee jerk reaction. And when they started earlier with political correctness, which I was saying years prior that that's just a training mechanism to destroy the standards and to make people, like people who feel good about themselves, to make it a sin. And I mean, again, this is all nuanced and complex, but the way it is being used, it's just that if you feel good about yourself, if you feel free, if you want to talk or say what you want, then you're a bad person. You're the enemy and you got to be obedience trained. And that's what they're doing. And they did it masterfully with COVID and now they're just applying it to everything. And by the way, not just YouTube, DuckDuckGo. It also yes. said that it was, yeah. yeah. That's right, DuckDuckGo, which DuckDuckGo has always built itself as a privacy search engine. They've never built themselves as like the place to go to get alternative information. I think they kind of used that loophole. I mean, their CEO got on Twitter and kind of justified that what was it? Oh, they were downgrading in their algorithm what they considered to be Russian misinformation. And the CEO <laughs> Twitter, he, he tweeted, yeah, you come to us for privacy. And you're also now coming to us for like our spin on the on the facts. That's but so I, weird. I think honestly, like I've never, and to this day, I don't think that there's a platform that is like fighting for you. Mm-hmm. I think it doesn't exist. Well, right now I really like Substack because they don't censor. And it seems like it's also their commercial proposition that they don't censor. Yeah. But there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee with any of those things. So, you know, the management may change. Somebody may mm-hmm. make them an offer they can't refuse. Yeah. Somebody may pressure them. Well, legislation can change. So it's like there's no privacy and no no censorship zone that is guaranteed. And even like people go Telegram. Telegram is owned by a bunch of my compatriots in the Saudi. I mean, like, please, like what? So it's like, uh, so I was not shocked about DuckDuckGo. Plus, even, for example, there's this writer, Yasha Levine, and mm-hmm. uh, I don't, 
agree with him on COVID. He went fully extreme. But uh, prior to that, he wrote this really good book called Surveillance Valley. And it's about essentially uh, highlighting the relationships between various agencies and big tech platforms and you know, the internet that actually never left the realm of the military and you know, intelligence. It never really went into this free expression commercial thing like we were taught. It always stayed in the military realm. So it's not no surprise. But then he also researched like Tor, the, the browser, which is actually, according to him, and I believe he's correct, a honeypot. Oh. Like Signal, also honeypot. And... So I don't think that there is any sort of like safe haven when it comes to privacy or no censorship. And I think Proton Mail, for example, that is considered all like secure and private, I think they were doing something with Google. And I think DuckDuckGo, even before this, was actually selling data to Google, search data or something along those lines. So it's like, I think we can pretty much assume that they are in this together. <laughs> not not with us, and that it's all at some point going to some kind of a, you know alphabet agency. Yeah. No matter what browser, no matter what platform. You recently reposted a piece you wrote on your old Substack talking about the establishment and the machine. Can you kind of give a summary of what you're talking about there? The two stories. I thought it was really nice. I mean, it was painful, obviously, and it was painful for you to write, but it was a good reflection. I thought. Uh, well, thank you. I, well, I actually almost completely forgot about this story. And as I was thinking, the recent concept, context, why I reposted it, I'm in New York, right? And mm. so they canceled, wink, wink, the mandates. So technically, the unclean people are allowed back in the restaurants and, and such, and gyms. And I feel just numb about it. It's like there's, I personally fought so hard to, you know, for the mandates to be canceled because, of, you know, segregation is good and it's just like, shameful. But once they did, first of all, they didn't do it with a heart. They didn't do it with an apology as in, mm. oh my God, we, we messed up. So let, let's fix it. Like, obviously they didn't do it this way. They did it like they were right. And now, now they're very generously, quote unquote, giving us our freedom back. It's just absurd, which is an insult. It wasn't theirs to begin with. And plus they did it in such a way that children under, I think, four still have to mask, which is abusive and wrong and just mm -hmm. like an unscientific. So they kind of just, they're saying, we're right, we can do it again at any point. And then the shops can still mandate it if they want. And then some restaurants still have the sign that the unclean, not allowed. I mean, that's not what the sign says, but effectively. Yeah. So, and it's just, it's just all wrong. And I was thinking, so, so, so what do I do? So the proper apology didn't come. And so, yes. And I was thinking about this establishment and the machine and the feeling of like almost helplessness that you feel when they're just doing whatever they want. They are just doing absolutely whatever they want. And... And then what? And, and then I realized that I've already written about it. And I've written about it before any COVID. <clears throat> and so that was the situation when actually on the heels of original Ukraine 
media narrative change. So after 2014, well, the, the animosity started building up prior to that, right? So, and the West was obviously helping to create a mood in the Ukrainian people that the West is a friend and Russia is the enemy, which is, well, frankly, quite dishonest because, again, Russians and Ukrainians had a relationship for a long time and America is on another continent. Yes. None of the America's business, regardless of everything else, right? But anyway, so the animosities have been created successfully. And again, the history is complex and very, very complex going, going through centuries. And I would say that by fairness, Crimea should probably be Turkish, because if we look at who owned it first, then it's neither Russia nor Ukraine. But, and I don't care. Like, as long as people are happy, people who are there, I really don't care. Like, I think the politics is silly. But so the animosity started building. And I remember the change in the mood. And that was that was over 10 years ago. Now, maybe not. Yeah, over 10 years ago, even before the Crimea, the mood changed. All of a sudden, like Ukrainians don't like Russians, as in like there's something in the air. Like, I'm sure that individual people are still individual people and, and, and wonderful and kind. And But that, that mood changed. And I remember being kind of heartbroken about it. And then in 2014, uh, with all the turmoil, Russians became the bad guys very, very officially in the Western like media. And so it became a liability to be Russian. And then with like the previous elections and all the hoopla with like Putin, Trump, blah, 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 which whatever. Uh, I don't even want to go in there because it's like not worth it. But mm-hmm. <laughs> so being Russian became a big liability as in it's like you're the hated person. And so with that, I just remember how it's almost like if you're a consultant, which I, mean, I was doing some consultancy and getting clients became difficult almost it's like there was a practical side to that not just that you became emotionally like the wrong type of person but also I remember that happening it was actually very very interesting and then it subsided then it subsided uh, probably I mean I don't know there was this bump after the song 14 then it subsided and then I forgot about it. And especially when COVID, everybody forgot about all that. Yeah. And then now, again, as you know, even Reuters wrote a story about how violence, calling for violence against Russians, they, uh, like Facebook or Metaverse, whatever, Meta, they are now officially allowing calling for violence against Russians, which is a joke. And I have to say that Prior in the previous cycle, like 2014, I was really heartbroken about it. So all of a sudden, you're a bad person. Why? Because you're Russian, because of your ethnicity, like you're bad, ethnic, you're ethnically bad. So that was painful. And then it went away. And then now I don't care. Actually, like I don't really read the mainstream media too much. And my friends are normal. And I don't have any corporate gigs, like nothing, no corporate jobs. So that does not really impact me. And I have developed thick enough of a skin. I mean, like Mm -hmm. I genuinely care not at all. 
what they say about Russians. But I can imagine that for a lot of people experiencing it in, to that degree for the first time, I mean, like, it's extremely painful. And also the fact that they're, like, firing people for whatever Russian news. I mean, this is this is bad. And going back to that piece, I wrote it when I was actively thinking about, well, various areas. First, as being Russian and how it makes you kind of the wrong kind of citizen. And in general, how the establishment just eats you and it has no respect whatsoever. And we are pretending that we have a status or whatever, but in reality, the machine does not respect us at all. Just at times, it's hidden from us. And at times, it's very, very visible. And funny enough, in 2019, there was no COVID yet. So I had no idea. Yeah. I thought we were actually at the close to the bottom. I thought it was really bad back then. Little did I know that it would get significantly worse. So that's the story. So it seems to me, and this is because I, I always make fun of myself that I'm a blue-pilled person wearing a red-pilled mask. Because like during COVID, if I would see people on television not wearing masks, I got a little, ooh, they're not following the rules twinge in my brain, even though like I knew that like wearing masks is not normal. And so yesterday I heard someone talking on the phone and he was speaking Russian. And for just a second, I got that little twinge of, oh, there's someone speaking Russian. That's weird. Or like during COVID, if someone coughed in public or like after 9-11, if someone was speaking Arabic on the subway or whatever, have you gotten any like dirty looks or weird reactions because of your accent by chance in the last few weeks? I mean, uh, no. Oh, good. And I mean, like my, my circles are very, very good. And I, if I did, I completely ignore them. I mean, like I genuinely, I so on a personal level, I so don't care about it right now. Yeah. Like there's so many things that are far more important like I'm dealing with a lot of things. Like I mean, I'm just not even registering mm-hmm. that on a personal level. I'm registering on the media, but I already went through that a few years ago. And right now, it's just I genuinely don't care at all. So I don't notice. And but then, well, the funny thing that what you're talking about is actually interesting. I have anecdotes that have nothing to do with Russianness, but it's very interesting because. Even with the masks, although I've been sort of against them from the very beginning, well, in the very, very early in the pandemic when we were told to not wear it, mm-hmm. I was yeah. thinking maybe there was some benefit to it and I was wearing, wearing it briefly. And then uh, there was a very drunk guy breathing in my proximity while I was in a mask that was like early March 2020. And I was like, wait a second, I can smell everything. What good does it do? So that was my waking up moment. <laughs> But even so, after that long of psychological training, even though, like, I think the opposite, even so, sometimes, you know, seeing an open face on the sub, which is like mine too, but mine I don't see. It's like you register it and you like this, oh, an exception, like that feeling, oh, it's an exception. But, and I think it comes from just brainwashing. And, And I remember actually, completely unrelated to either of those topics, but something completely striking. A few years ago, uh, 
well, in my circles, uh, the, it was a lot of like environmentalists and people uh, going with political correctness sincerely. And I remember just watching a group of kids. I was in the street and there was a group of school kids, like really young kids, maybe six, seven, eight years old, like six, seven. And a lot of them, and a lot of them looked like me. So they were white, right? And, and, and I looked at those kids and the thought in my mind was like, stupid white people, they're going to grow up and destroy them. And I was like, wait, like it wasn't my thought. It wasn't what I think. It wasn't what I feel. But the thought just showed up in my head. And it was not a loving thought. It was a thought of like a bad, like, and I was like, that's not even what I, yeah. how? And it was really alarming because if it showed up in my head, so, okay, so I, I registered it, I caught it, and I was like, this is bullshit. And like, no human being should be thought about from the hatred standpoint, mm -hmm. obviously. I mean, like, obviously, regardless. Like, black, white, purple, dotted, doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter, right? Like, that's obvious. Yeah. But that moment was, to me, a learning moment because I was like, wow, that's what they're doing. I mean, and it was obvious intellectually mm -hmm. that that's what they were doing. And they were using, like, I'm convinced that people who are on the top level who are promoting this political correctness and all that, they pretend to care about the indigenous or about <laughs> the anybody... They definitely don't care. They're just using it to confuse. They're using it to, to capitalize on the existing problems, on the existing trauma, on the very real historic tragedies. Yeah. And they're just using that to do whatever they want to do and to keep everybody down. And if they temporarily elevate like certain representatives of a particular group, they will toss them. Yeah, like it's inevitable. They will eventually toss them. It's like what America does with foreign leaders. It temporarily elevates, and then it has no problem killing them. It's like when you deal with the betrayers, the betrayers betray, and that girl goes back to, of course, Ukraine because, uh, like for instance, it's like imagine if you have an uncle who maybe is not great. I mean, he's like somewhat abusive, but you have a relationship, right? And then somebody from another town comes and say, oh my God, we're going to sue this uncle. Like, I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you money. This uncle is abusing you. This uncle is an asshole. Like, totally tell him, tell him. And then you go like, oh, uncle, you're an asshole. I'm going to sue you. And then that person from another town just goes away. And now, whatever, it's like, it's like that. It's like, that is, I think, what it essentially happened with Ukraine, aside from all other geopolitics and messing up with energy prices and the Great Reset and all that. And like all that is happening. But on the purely psychological level, what the West did, it kind of gave fake confidence to Ukrainian oligarchs or Ukrainian leaders who counted on the West to be the supportive force, like regardless of everything else. And then they just like, oh, sorry. Oh, now you have a war. Oh, how horrible. Bye-bye. So this is, like, again, betrayal. And, I mean, I don't even know where I'm going with that. But I think that, oh, so I was talking about the uh, playing on the on the hostilities and playing mm -hmm. on the trauma. And that's what they're doing now. Now there's a war. And it's actually, I mean, like, it's, it's bad. Like, it's bad because 
any war is bad. War in Yemen is bad. War in Syria is bad. War in Ukraine is bad. Anywhere it's people, it's 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 not good at all. And now they're using that suffering to promote whatever agenda on both sides, actually. So it's it's a very tragic situation existentially. And like my own, well, there's no solution really. There's no quick solution to any of that. But my own approach is to always try to relate to other human beings before any other theory, which is why, by the way, in the beginning of our conversation where like, I didn't really want to talk about it, even about the Ukrainian situation, mm-hmm. because it's like, it's so hard to do it justice. And it is far more important to me that people are not bombed, no matter who drops the bombs. But it's just like people like you and I, I mean, like nobody counted on having a war in their life, right? It's like, it's not good. And that's far more important relating to the people than siding with this side of politics or that side of politics. So like, to me, this is my universal answer to how eventually to get out of this crap. Yeah, you can kind of tell that they don't actually care because there are very real like legislative, programmatic, infrastructural changes that could be made to significantly improve the status and the state of like historically downtrodden people and currently downtrodden people. They don't enact those. They do symbolic things. So earlier you told a Soviet joke and it was hilarious. And I've noticed that Soviet humor and Jewish humor, kind of two of the most oppressed people historically. I mean, Jewish people have been oppressed forever and ever. Soviets during the entire Soviet Union reign were oppressed. And the humor that comes out of that situation is some of the best humor that humanity has to offer. Why do you think that is, that oppression breeds just comedic genius? Well, I mean, you have to survive, right? Yeah. I mean, like, what else do you do? You laugh. I think that when you can't, (laughs) it's like, you know, where you either cry and die or you make fun of the the assholes who try to oppress you. Mm -hmm. Because after all, I think it's important to see them not as just scary people. I mean, they are scary people, but they're also often foolish and they're worth laughing at. Yeah. And I guess also just kind of, <laughs> you either have to laugh or, man, just despair. Um, <laughs> exactly. The, the way I see the current situation playing out. So the American empire is in a state of decay. There's not really anything that can take its place other than a complete societal collapse or this technocracy that Klaus Schwab would like to bring about. And so that would be like a global empire that is led not by democratically elected politicians, but by corporate, the elite of the elite. Do you think one of those is preferable to the other? Or do you think I'm off base? Is there another option? Uh, Again, it boils down to complexity. It is... Hmm. You know, like your other <laughs> Next question. I'm asking you what the meaning of life right. is. So just <laughs> Right. Uh, so I think like my theory is that the mess that we're in, it has been building up for several thousands of years at least, right? Mm. So the gradual transition to this algorithmic mechanical intellect-based morality. And I mean it's just not alive, really. So, but it's built, building up for, for 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 many centuries. That separation from nature. So, it might take us a while to get back on track, 
and oh my god something is falling see this is this is life in new york (laughs) 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 as long as as long as your building doesn't fall down i think we're all right we can last all right. So, sorry about that. I mean, like, it's this is realism. This is the complexity. Yeah, this is great. <laughs> so, I think that the challenge of the current situation is that people have to realize that the abuses that have done have been done to the people in the past that they were not an abstraction. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, when the original people of this land were invaded. They were minding their business. They were leaving their, uh, they were having their freedom. Their freedom was taken away from them. And now Klaus Schwab is trying to take our freedom, like modern people's freedom away from us. And it's the same thing. It's not, so if they win, they will describe their story as the people who wanted the freedom today, they were backwards. And it's the exact same story where you know, we, we didn't take your freedom away. We made you more civilized. We made you, we put whatever, like, sensors in your body to help you with, to monitor diseases. That's good for you. Mm-hmm. It's, there can always be a story that is written. And I think that the actual solution to get out of this wacky circle of misery is to go back to a very simple way of, feeling about this world and i mean like this is not a big word it may sound like just some lofty nonsense but i think that is actually the solution because if we get away from that brainy way of thinking about ourselves about our lives about from intellect-based morals as opposed to heart-based like morals if we do that then i think there will be some kind of like an emotional chemical reaction almost like all the other stuff will eventually fall off and it may fall off in ways that we cannot even think of right now because life is very mysterious. But without us doing that, if we continue trying to be like the analyst, the the brainy smart person who wants to dominate the narrative or Mm -hmm. dominate other people, I think that is actually the proverbial virus that is driving the mess the emotional one. And you know, my, my friend Stephen Newcomb has uh, the wonderful term that is called system of domination. I think that is what it is. I, I, and I added to that saying like a ghost of domination. It's almost this emotion that drives us yeah. to neglect the free will in others, to neglect the right to sacred relationship with the divine, whatever it is, however the person feels about it, whatever words the person uses for that. So if we start respecting that, and I mean from the inside, not just because somebody read a book and decided it's a good thing, but if people awaken through whatever mystery of life to that feeling that, oh my God, other people actually, I mean, they're sacred. and They have that thing that is theirs and it's not up to me to dictate to them how to have this relationship Mm -hmm. in the world. I think that when that happens and when, that happens in many people, miracles will happen. And I think until then, the hopes are slim. I mean, like individually, people can still figure out a way how to maneuver it and be happy and even thrill, probably, even with the great reset and everything, depending on the person and the circumstance and all that, because people are very, very adjustable and emotionally very resilient in the end. But as far as 
getting out of the circle. I think that the great reset serves almost like it's a grotesque version of everything that has happened before. It's grotesque. It's completely awful. It takes everything bad that existed and puts it on steroids and just gives it in a completely almost like cartoonish way. But I think this is a life's way to show it to us that like, that's what it is. Like here it is in your face now and it's ugly. And maybe there has to be a way like internally different. So that is my interpretation of it. I think that on the other end, eventually when we come out of it on the other end, whenever that is, whether it's now or a thousand years later or a few generations later or tomorrow, I don't know. But whenever we come out of it, I think we'll be in a better place. I think we'll be stronger and wiser. So I told you my next question was going to be the meaning of life. I've been asking guests this because I'm, I've really been thinking about it a lot lately. And I'd like to know if you have an answer to it. Do you think that there is sort of a telos, like a function, like a prime function or a purpose for humanity in general, not like the individual, you know, maybe my purpose is to ask great questions and your purpose is to use words real good so that people can better understand the world, but like for humanity in general. Wow. See, (laughs) told (laughs) you. Well, I actually do, but I did not expect to talk about it. Uh, Well, I think the purpose of humanity is the choice and the free will because it is a nature of a human being to uh, forget while we're here. And well, there's a sort of mythological story that is pretty common in different older cultures. And I believe that it's probably true, is that human beings before coming to earth choose what like that particular person wants to do. And, but the point is that when we are born, we forget that that's the deal. So we're now, and then we're born, we forget. And then as we live, as we grow up and then function as an adult, well, hopefully sometime before adulthood, we actually remember. And the mechanisms and that are completely like screwed up in modern society. But, uh, the point is, I think, and of course, I don't know. I mean, like, I'm not mm. answering the question. I mean, I, that's 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 how I feel about it right now. I think that imagine if you actually know, like, everything, right? Then choice is a mood thing. Like, of course, if you know that if you go that way, then the, I mean, like, it's there's no choice. And the point of experiencing free will is that you actually choose, like you can choose. You can choose good, good, you can choose bad. You can choose wisely, you can choose like foolishly. You can choose things that are good for you. You can choose things that are horrible for you. You can, it's still going to go its natural path. So if you choose things that are good for you, you're probably better off. But I think that the point of the human species is choice and finding love through that. Because I do think that the, foundation of everything is love and it's very hard to see that in the messes like in the everyday and with the cruelty and also as a word like what does the word mean means nothing right like really it's like there's lots of people who just shout at me using this word but 
but on the level of feeling that you realize that things are actually beautiful. Even whatever is happening right now, there's still beauty in it and the opportunity to be courageous and opportunity to find people who are accepting you and loving you for who you are, who are respecting you. Like I connected to you. It's beautiful, right? We would have connected probably if not for the great reset. Mm-hmm. And true. true. And so on the some fundamental level, I think it's like, you know, when you have an adventure and it's tough and you sweat and you cry and you bang your head on the wall and it's like, oh my God, it's like, why? It's just like, sometimes it feels like absolutely like, like impossible, like really bad. And then if you keep at it and keep it and, and you work through it and then you insist and you pray and the universe guides you, whatever you, I mean, eventually you get out of it. Like whatever it was, eventually you get out of it. And then you look back and you're like, wow, it actually makes sense. And now you're a stronger person. You're a wiser person. You're a more balanced person. And it might have taken you years. But in the end of the journey, I think that at the end of the journey, we're in your deathbed. Mm. It's supposed to make sense. And at least, you know, this is this is how I feel about it. And so, yeah, good question. Great. Well, good answer, too. Thank you so much. As we close out, why don't you go ahead and um, give your plugs if you have any sites or social media handles or anything that you would like for people to follow? Sure, absolutely. So uh, I am Tessa Fights Robots, and my Substack is Tessa Fights Robots, and uh, so it's tessa.substack.com. And then my music is Tessa Makes Love. So if you Google either Tessa Fights Robots or Tessa Makes Love, then you'll find me. And and I have to apologize for all the technical issues, and it's actually a miracle that my internet stayed up. And I was <laughs> yeah. completely convinced this was going to be audio. So it's like. I know. Last time we last time we talked, you called in because your internet was was on the fritz. So I'm glad that today it was a little bit smoother. I'm sorry I didn't I didn't mention that it was video on the on the email. I I must not have changed the email template that gets sent out. So thanks for flexing for us, oh, and hopefully we will talk again soon. I really appreciate your time today. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. It's, Thank it's you. A joy. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thanks for checking out this episode of Blackbird. If you like what you heard today, be sure you're subscribed on your podcatcher of choice. You can find me anywhere by searching Blackbird with James Gentleman. Follow me on Twitter at JamesLJ. My DMs are always open, so if you have feedback, ideas, or have something interesting to say and would like to appear on Blackbird, just drop me a line there. If you'd like to support the show and get early access to all my interviews, plus plenty of bonus content, head over to blackbirdpodcast.com, toss me $7 a month or $70 a year, and I'll get you all set up. You can also find me on Odyssey, where I'm posting the video of my interviews. Just search for Blackbird there or click the link in the show notes. And finally, if you haven't already, please leave me a rating and a review over at iTunes. It really helps the show. Thanks again for listening to Blackbird. And until next time, live free. (laughs) 